Hey everyone, welcome. Uh, today we have Felix Wu. So, <clears throat> just to get the ball rolling on this, uh, how would you characterize uh, Asian American history? Yeah, so when I think of like the history of Asian Americans, um, I think about a lot of like a reimagination of home and a reimagination of family. Because like for so many of Asian Americans, the, the history of their experience has been like coming to the US and leaving people behind. Um, and I think about that like partially because of like, like one, like the like actual movement of people, but also like I think about like my own family's history um, and what like my dad had to go through in order to be here and like where my family, my extended family now are. So, yeah. It's so where did your yeah. dad come from? My dad immigrated to the US um, from Hong Kong. So he has a ton of family still there, um, but he came to the US for college. He was 17. You imagine a 17 year old kid, never been to the US. Yeah. Came here alone to go to St. Mary's College of California. So like many Asian Americans came across to California. And so he left his parents behind. He left his siblings behind. It was him all alone wow. in this new place. He, he loves telling the story of like the first thing he saw about and like was so impressed with were like the street lamps in California and in San Francisco. They're like mm. functional street lamps. <laughs> I mean, you can imagine my dad's pretty old. So like 50 years ago, mm. a little bit of a different place. Yeah, it's definitely changed since then. Um, something that I, when you, when you mentioned the reimagination of home, uh, one thing, that I've thought about <clears throat> throughout as I was reading up on this stuff mm -hmm. was a big um, component just of American history is the amount of immigration that has existed over mm -hmm. since, since the start of this uh, of the United States. Um, and it's been a weird thing considering that it, not that I know much about this, but it seems like this, the United States is, the country that most people come to um, as far as not most as in numbers necessarily, but most variety, um, mm -hmm. all different kinds of people from all, all places of the world come. And, uh, and so something about reimagination of the home, it seems like it's very possible um, because there is, a, there was, especially, um, you know, in the 1800s when, when Chinese and Japanese and other, other East Asian laborers came came to Hawaii and also California and then moved farther mm -hmm. inland. There was not a lot. I mean, there was gold mines, railroads, but I mean, it seems like um, there wasn't, there was a lot of opportunity to create something of their own. And obviously, um, as you know, also there was a lot of um, opposition to that, especially in, in Wyoming and Nevada. Um, I read yeah. in that time. Um, but it seems like, especially with like what we've seen with Chinatowns was like that, what you were saying about reimaginations is that there was, it was a weird thing because it was, they got rejected from a bunch of different places and then just ended up in these cities and having, you know, a set of blocks that were just not looked over by police. Um, yeah. Which was, it was a weird thing to notice. I hadn't, I hadn't really realized no, that. Yeah. No, I mean, it's it's something you don't really think about now because, like, when you go to every major city, I think 
you see like oh there's like a chinatown section yeah you sort of don't think about like why that is mm-hmm. but I th- it, it is really part of like asian american history we're talking about reimagination of the home it's because like all of the, initially this this first wave of migrants like like the 1850s right you, mm-hmm. you mentioned the, the, the gold rush and you mentioned the, the transcontinental railroad like mm-hmm. they came here for opportunity they came here to try to better their families so they left their families they reimagining the family reimagining the home they left mm-hmm. their families in in china for example and then came to the u.s trying to like either work in the gold mines or work in the railroad get paid better wages but as you said like a lot of these people were like being paid significantly less than other like white workers they didn't exactly have homes provided for them and so what they ended up doing was all these city ordinances basically like said you're only allowed to live in this one spot so yeah. you've got this concentration of a lot of like young able-bodied chinese men who've come here so like now start get putting in these few certain blocks and so they have to sort of reimagine what home and what family looks like to them because of that but yeah i mean you can imagine it's like not not a great experience to have to like come to the states and then like either you're, you're getting like robbed if you're working in a gold mine or you're getting like beat up because you're going on strike trying to get better wages on, yeah. the, on the railroad or even like getting your chinatown burned down because you like there's a lot of um like low wage sentiment and like some economic stagnation and then it's sort of like a classic thing where like oh these immigrants are like reducing wages so like let's drive them out sort of thing yeah and so having to really tie into the community networks you have to like reinforce like what you know and how to survive make it like a new family almost yeah it has it's it's interesting it was kind of they they were given that option of having this set of area um, in a city and then had to build a base. And then from there, it seems like the opportunity of spreading once that base was established, which takes many years, but once that was established, there's a lot more of a, of a chance to be able to um, have a dispersion of people being able to, you know, spread throughout other parts of the country once that happened. Um, but it seemed like for a while there was a lot of backlash on that. Um, and something that I mentioned to you before were the, the tongs, these, um, established, uh, buildings that had, um, a variety of functions. There was, there was, um, there was the vital services for immigrants, you know, like count, uh, immigration counseling, English classes, Chinese schools. Um, but there was also organized crime, which is crazy. Yeah. I mean, there's just like totally opposite ends of the, of a spectrum. Um, but it, it, when you were talking about that, that, that backlash that they were getting um, with minimum, getting uh, crappy wages and, mm-hmm. um, and just fighting back all the time, uh was it kind of makes sense i mean it's a product of its environment at that point there's the the high end of that spectrum is we're trying to help you guys we're trying to help each other out and you know try and try and uh assimilate as much as we can into the culture and into the um and just into the country's environment that is uh being able to speak the language and um make sure that we can stay here and not you know be deported uh, with the immigration counseling, but then there's the other end with, with their organized crime. And it honestly makes sense though, because if they're getting shitty wages, 
you know, there's, there's, you gotta make money somehow. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it was like, I, I don't, I mean, actually it's similar too. obviously I don't know very much history about that either, but with um, like the, it's just kind of the similar thing with the Italian mob. Um, there was a lot of uh, uh, skill, unskilled, er, skilled and unskilled laborers that came in uh, to Ellis Island. And then um, they were just not getting paid very well. They were getting, yeah. it was a downtrodden environment. And then the, the mafia comes up from that. And it's, it's kind of, an, it's a similar thing. Um, but I just never had heard of any of these, like what tongs were or yeah. even what, what, uh, what consisted of Chinese or Asian uh, organized crime. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like, I mean, I know you hate when I talk about econ, but it's like a very like no, economic no, concept of like, yeah, like the local labor market hypothesis is like, if you can't find any work in like the legal labor market, right. You're mm -hmm. trying to like get a job as like maybe a storekeeper or you're trying to get a job like maybe waiting tables or like as a doctor, as a dentist, whatever. And you, you're excluded from these places. You can't find a job. Yeah. You're going to try to find other ways to like feed yourself and feed your family. Yeah. Um, but I actually think it's interesting. Cause like when you think about like on one side of the spectrum, there's like immigration counseling and like education, family services. And you think about crime on the other side, like yeah. those two things weren't so far apart. Like a lot of this immigration counseling was like, here's what you need to do in order to get your family in. And a lot of the time it wasn't necessarily oh, legal, but yeah. it's like, so how do you navigate like the immigration offices to say like, okay, this is where I'm living. This is like, these are my like cousins. These are like people who might not necessarily be like directly related to you. But so it's, it's not even like when you think about like, crime, it's like technically illegal, but it's yeah. not necessarily like, going out and like, Explicit example, like ro robbing someone or yeah it's yeah. just more of like let me navigate inconsistencies yeah. of immigration policy to yeah. try to like reunite my family or bring other people like within my extended family into like where i'm living and give them similar opportunities mm -hmm. well that's, I think that's a really interesting to think about it is it is definitely an interesting thing well that's something that like i mentioned earlier about having how there's so many different people that came to the United States. And so there was, you know, there's just waves of, of uh, people who need work, need a new lifestyle, need a new home. Um, and the hardest thing is, you know, ha having some level of control of who comes in, who comes out and, and making it not necessarily as fair as possible, but as normal as possible as, as not overwhelming, you know, you don't just have, an entire country to show up and everyone gets in like there has to be some sort of standards and some sort of a, of a filtration system that where everyone who can get in will get in and those who can't uh have some sort of i mean it's i it's like the alternative is just kind of they don't get in which is really shitty uh when you think about it but it's um but then it, like looking at it from from that side of of there is a flawed i mean for so long and even still now there's still it's relatively flawed but mm -hmm. i mean much less flawed than it has than it was uh 200 years ago 100 years ago um but it was it was interesting that when you mentioned that um having to navigate you know immigration immigration uh 
like the customs and whatnot and having to, mm-hmm. you know, tell these people that they're part of your, or tell them that they're part of your family and this is where you're going and you go explicitly to this house and, yeah. you know, make sure that you follow these steps and you'll get in. Um, and it's, it's a weird thing because yeah. there was, <clears throat> especially like I was saying, there's so many people coming in. It's so hard to have one series of rules or acts and laws that establish, um, you know, these types, these certain people can get in, you know, if you have this yeah. a visa or, and whatnot or whatever that gets you in, you'll get in. But then there's so many people that have uh, extraordinary circumstances, you know, they're, they're refugees of war or, mm-hmm. um, you know, they were outcast for whatever reason. Uh, they're escaping a, a dangerous home or whatever it may be. And, and they need a new home. And in that situation, it's like very tough to just, you know, turn them away because there's no other option. Um, But at the same time, there has to be that a level playing field where there's at least a chance, you know, you get something like, oh, okay, well, you don't have the prerequisites, but here's how you can do that. And I guess that's, that's something that definitely um, these tongs definitely gave an opportunity for that because it wasn't like, it was just a readily available information. You just mm-hmm. say, well, it's okay. If you, if you weren't ready to come in, <laughs> like they're not just telling yeah. that out of everyone, you know, they, they, there's ways to navigate that system. And, um, and an interesting thing also about these tongs was that they've existed in China since 1644, which is nuts. I mean, that is, that is a long, I mean, it's just like, well, if, every, if you think about the arc of Chinese history, that's nothing. That's, that's absolutely nothing. nothing. Yeah. That's the crazy <laughs> part. I remember learning about Chinese history and, um, and it wasn't like, I didn't learn much about it, but I learned enough to go, Holy shit. It is, it is like, so it has a huge tail that goes way back in time that it's, it's to the first century, you know, yeah. the, um, the dynasties and, and all this culture that already existed for thousands of years and all these things. And like, yeah, 1644 is late in history. <laughs> yeah, <for China>. <laughs> no, yeah. I think, I think there's some really, really funny stories. I mean, this is sort of like a little bit removed from present day, but there's stories of like Chinese emperors sending their, like, they, they're like this massive empire, right. Mm-hmm. Um, which comes with whatever you want to think about it. But there's stories of like Chinese emperors sending like fleets of ships to Africa to bring back giraffes because they're like this mystical being in Chinese folklore. <laughs> so they're like, we've journeyed to the ends of the earth to yeah. find one like godlike creature. And there's like some random giraffes chilling. Yeah, just a bunch of massive giraffes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a crazy thing um, in Chinese history is you know, these dynasties, the emperors and the the vast amount of control that they had, but then also how quick and not quick, but how relatively quick it was. There were opportunities to overthrow a certain dynasty. And, um, and then I think this is what I, what I read about it was that um, I think I don't want to misquote, but I think it was the Ming dynasty got overthrown and um Hold on a minute. Let me just, before I keep going on this. Oh yeah. So the Ming dynasty was overthrown by the Qing dynasty. Yeah. And uh, the Ming dynasty 
were trying to, or members of the Ming Dynasty and supporters of the Ming Dynasty were setting up these tongs and trying to remove the Manchu rulers. And that's just like yeah. a crazy thing because it was, it was just, that was kind of the set notion. It was, we're trying to get back our power. We're trying to get back our ruling and our, and our land. Um, and then it, the way it's evolved, um, you know, over 300 years, almost 400 years to what it is now. Honestly, I, I wouldn't, I, if I've been to numerous Chinatowns, I've been to Chinatown many times and I could never have told you what a Tong was until now. And it's a crazy thing that it was, I mean, it's not a common thing. It's not a commonly known, um, uh, existing structure, but it's something that is probably very vital to many immigrants and many, um, many potential immigrants uh, yeah. of the country. For sure. No, I mean, they're, it's a, they're community organizations, so they're a reflection of the community. So mm. whatever, um, whatever like issues are of important to the community at the time. So if you're an immigrant, that's generally immigration. Yeah. That's what it's reflected. But I, I was thinking like, yeah, it is crazy how like the, the sort of the history of like Asian immigration into the States has always been like, a little bit of like what what does the country deem like is worthy right mm -hmm. so i think we talked about it like maybe like how would you do a fair playing field how would you do this um and then like also taking into account like extraordinary circumstances like refugees of war and stuff but i think when you look at like the history of asian american immigration it's a lot of so when we needed a lot of cheap labor for the railroads right and to work yeah. the gold mines they were super specific in targeting only Asian men. So they were like, we don't want you living here and setting down roots. So you can't bring your families. We just want you to come and work. Yeah. But afterwards, so like after the Chinese uh, Exclusion Act, that sort of flipped. You say, okay, now we want like high powered, like people who are going to go to college, like come here on, um, I don't know exactly what the visas are called, but like achievement visas, basically. Yeah. That's yeah. basically how my dad got here and how he like gained his citizenship. Like wow. he had to, like he had his green card for 10 years. He had to get, he had to get like 10 Nobel laureates to sign off on like why he deserves to have a spot in like the U S like why he deserves to be a citizen. So I think Yeah. Um, oh my God. And so, like, yeah, I mean, you, you can imagine, like, Jesus. if you're trying to find a system that works, like, yeah, it's it's interesting to think of, like, if we're trying to be fair or if we're trying to be, like, effective. There's also, like, effective in that it's not let's get um, as many people who won't be assholes. It was let's get people who will help us. And that was kind of like a straight directive that or directed uh, approach that it that kind of was um, it was sustained for a while. I mean, there was, there was, I mean, like your dad had to do the 10. I, that's, I'm in awe, by the way, that's insane. I don't know. 10 Nobel laureates. Like that's the, the, <laughs> the search he had to pull off to do that is that's impressive, but something like that, where I, the standards for someone to be in a country that, is known supposed to be known as um kind of the opportunity the land of opportunity the land of can be the home to all and uh knowing that it's hard to just 
you know, once you get here, you, you're here, but then you got to stay here. And there's all yeah. these other, these other, other uh, obstacles that you have to pass to, yeah. to maintain citizenship. And yeah, um, it's less sort of, I guess, I guess you can think of it less maybe as like the home to all, but home to those who are useful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like home to all in that. Yeah. If you bring something to the table, then you're, yeah. then you can stay here. Um, and that's a, it's, it's weird because <clears throat> I mean, I never thought of it. Like I never considered that. Well, actually, no, let me just run it back. That idea of, of the um, effective immigration and then also how effective person can, can come in uh, and live in the country. Does that, that's definitely got to be correlated with the idea of model minority. Is it, is it not? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think that that comes from like twofold. Like we talked about, like initially, you, like I, sorry, I'm going to sort of come at this in a couple of okay. different ways, but initially when you think about like Chinese American immigration or Asian American immigration, you don't think model minority. That's sort of more of like a modern concept, right? Like we, yeah. I think we spoke about like yellow peril and a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, like prior to the the start of this podcast but and so that's that that's much more rooted in like the end of like the 1800s right so you come here it's a it's just a bunch of like chinese american men trying to work trying to work on railroads don't have any like family structures so you, you and supposedly like depressing wages so then you think okay there's this construction of here's how we should combat this flood, quote unquote flood, or like this, um, this, this horde of savages coming in from China. So that's where you get like the yellow peril. That's where you yeah. get Chinese exclusion act. But then after that, you see, okay, now it's, it's useful because the people who immigrated after the Chinese exclusion act weren't the same sort of people that immigrated beforehand. Mm-hmm. Now it's more people with a little bit of cash, more capital. They can set up their own businesses. They have access to better schooling so they're going to college for example so it's, a, it's sort of a different demographic it's like if you took all the all the like college graduates or college students from america and try to like have them immigrate somewhere else yeah. you'd also be like wow these people like achieve well and like have all these predictive outcomes um and so that yeah so that's how i think about the tie between like immigration and the model minority is like after after like the Chinese Exclusion Act, there was a different sort of people that were able to come immigrate to the U.S. Mm-hmm. And so they were like my dad, for example, like was able to come here with, with a degree or c- to come get a degree. And that's where you, I think you get this idea of the, the model minority myth, which for people who I guess are listening and don't have exactly yeah, go ahead. the concept of it, it's just that like um, Asian Americans generally have been able to succeed in the... Uh, I guess the American society because of um, some like protocultural factors um, and like behavioral patterns. Um, and we, we can talk about whether or not I think that's a useful depiction of Asian Americans or not, but that's, that's generally what it's portrayed as is like, because they like Asians work hard and they're somehow like, uh, like smarter than they can succeed. And, Mm-hmm. Like keep their head down and grind. 
there's that they have like an attitude a gen- it's such a like when you first said that to me i'd never heard of model minority before um i thought i thought it was stupid and then i realized like what it meant and i and then i kind of zoomed back at what i had um i have seen and and heard of in like culture and whatnot it actually makes sense i mean like the the fact that the myth exists not yeah. that it should exist because yeah that's stupid first off in the world they're not a minority <laughs> they're, they're just a, yeah. a significant yeah. portion of the world so that's yeah. that's stupid to me from the start um second of all the fact that like it's the idea that it's a model. So you should base your existence. So let's say I'm black. I mm-hmm. should base my minority status on an Asian person's uh, abilities and attitudes and, mm-hmm. and work ethics, which is just, oh my God. <laughs> I had never, it never framed in any way. Like I never thought yeah. about this stuff. And it was just, um, it's ridiculous that, it's even considered as though, well, if you were Asian, then you would do better. And it's like, yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> it's I know so it's, it's pretty crazy. crazy. But I mean, like, it, it's, it has some like real, like impacts and sort of re- real reverberations. Because like, mm-hmm. I remember when I was growing up, I think we'd get a lot of time, or at least I would, I was like, pretty good at math, like, pretty good at science. Um, just because like, I had like the, I was fortunate enough to have two parents that were like and stable, stable jobs, both have PhDs. So I came from a very well-educated place. So I had sort of like a, a leg up from the start, mm-hmm. but then like in school out here, Oh, of course you're good at that. It's in your blood. Like you're genetically predisposed to being good at math. Yeah. Um, which is like, yeah. Like when you say, when you zoom out, it's a little bit absurd to think it's about. <laughs> like, I don't know if knowledge is passed genetically, but okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, so that's something I was like, I've heard enough about. And um, this, like, I guess if we we're going to reel it back a little bit about the, um, a predisposition to, I guess the word would be STEM, but I'm trying to think of like objective reasoning. Would that be, would that be what like math sciences would yeah. be? Um, or just, I think it's more of like, it's considered like just studiousness. Yeah. Okay. That, that doesn't, that's stupid because studiousness, there's like a great philosopher, a great writer, great. There's other things, a historian. Yeah. There's also um, art, you know, fantastic performance art, fantastic yeah. visual art. So it's a weird thing that like, I mean, at least over time, the stereotype in, in uh, what I've seen the most is math science generally. Um, yeah. And would you say there's definitely, I, I don't know enough about this stuff, but I definitely think that the, like, I know at least parts of the brain have certain influences mm-hmm. on this stuff. So how much of an influence is that actually on, on um, like biological factors? Yeah. How much is it a biological factor? Um, I would say like, <laughs> again, I'm not a uh, eugenicist. So I would say like none. Cause like, there's no measurable difference in say like, like brain chemistry or any sort of like a like determinative yeah determinative biological factor i think you get that from a lot of um conceptions of like the social 
hierarchies of like how and like how Asian Americans have navigated that um, and how it's been like portrayed. Right. Yeah. And so you think about like a lot of like popular culture, what you see depicted is within that archetype of like, there's these like little Asian kids who study all the time and like learn violin and learn piano. And in some respects that's because of that's how, like they're taught to assimilate and to succeed within the American system. In some respects, that's a self-fulfilling prophecy where they see that themselves and then internalize it. So there's a lot of like this self-internalization of like trying to succeed. So I'm going to do these things that I've been, I've been told are supposed to work. work. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. um... But yeah, I mean that, that whole like, biology of race is a very sketchy territory yeah. yeah well it's it's a weird thing because um there are determinative not purely determinative because that's a that's a, a absolute word but more of a a predisposition that people have with their brain chemistry not brain chemistry, but like their functions of brain and and then along with their environmental uh circumstances and then um I guess those are the two. There's either your genetics and then where you live, like who, you, who your family, yeah. your your uh, your social situation. And I think that there's definitely <clears throat> not just one factor. So you can't just say it's in your blood. You're good at math. Like that's fucking. Yeah. That's that is so stupid. As in because. If there's anything I've learned, it's there's never one reason for something. There's never one reason why someone is good at math or someone is good at sports. Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh, it's his genes. It's like he had to work for that. There yeah. has to be, there had to be like, well, there's like the um uh what is that book? Tiger Mom, I think it or it's like the the um it was an Asian mom who had like a very high expectations for her yeah. her, uh, her daughters daughter and um would have her play like ridiculous hours of violin and study a lot and um so it it have to be additionally an environmental factor that that pushes that the studiousness the the kind of way of thinking and internalization of all right i'm i can be good at this and this is how i'm gonna you know succeed in this culture um so that's just that's something that you can't be purely determined on just like, Oh, you're Asian. Go work hard. Like, no, there has yeah. to be the, there's uh, an influence of, of, of uh, hard work there. Um, that I don't know. It's in, it's so simplistic when it's just seen like that. Um, yeah. But <clears throat> with, but I mean, it's, it's also like, it's not too far removed from that whole yellow peril idea. Right where it's like because of their race they are they have they carry these sort of um traits with them right so yeah. i mean it's it's like what those traits are are flipped but if you i don't know if you saw some of those cartoons that, that we were we were talking mm-hmm. about before like yeah. you saw how they were like Asians were depicted they have these long spiny claws like they're almost like barbaric they've got super yeah. sli- like slitted eyes like that sort of thing um, so, I mean, this, this history of like, uh, like a, 
and like they're always characterized as like they have like dirty characteristics they're base they're low like there's always been this sort of like biology of race that's been um tied to like the asian american experience it's just been shifting a little bit over time yeah whereas it used to be they're these little demons they have claws they're like like these monkeys from the jungle they're like trolls or something yeah um to more of like oh they're they're supposed to be quiet and docile and they just sit and do their work because it's head down either like genetic like in their blood or it's like part of the the chinese culture whatever that means yeah whatever (laughs) that's ridiculous i always think that's funny though because like when people say that, I'm like, what do you know of Chinese culture? Like, Dude, that's, me, it's exactly what I was thinking. It's like, <laughs> what, what makes you know? So like, I think that's something, obviously I've, I've only been reading the yellow, about the yellow panel for like a day, <laughs> but my part to zoom out on this. My understanding would be <clears throat> from this is that we, not we Americans had never, um, interacted with Asian people, just like mainly Chinese people Mm -hmm. before. So they had no fucking idea what the culture was, what a social status was looked like, you know, high social status, low social Mm -hmm. status. There was no understanding of how to be in the world as a Chinese person, as an, as an Asian person, there was no idea. And so if I think this is, this is just off the dome here. Yellow peril seems like it was, they are scared as fuck because they have no idea how like there's probably a bit of a chunk of information that was gathered from some stories or some some guy traveled to china and wrote a couple things and then left i was like well they got an emperor and they got a big ass set of land and they'll and they have all these different sets of standards for how to be a person Mm -hmm. um samurais in china no no japan well that's same shit asia <laughs> it's it's yeah. like the same general area but you see what i'm saying like very generalized ideas of something and mm-hmm. so there was probably a totally different view of how they how they saw um these people and then once they came and they arrived they only came i remember seeing i think it was like 400 chinese uh immigrants for in in 18 60 or something at first and then it kind of rose uh Mm -hmm. by the thousands but i mean there was no idea of what their who what they who they were how they lived uh what they wanted from from out of the world and what their what their standards were um and so i definitely think that the yellow peril was a like brutally misrepresentation as in we're so scared. I mean, it happens with other races too, with the United States. There was so, there's so little known about it. It's kind of the same thing with, um, with South Americans too. They just thought they would be like these basic, like the next closest thing to a monkey in just how they exist. And same thing with uh, Africans. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, there's no idea of what they actually were. They were not, they had no sense of, of like how sophisticated they were, what their sense of order was, what their sense of, of, uh, of being in the world is. And so it was so flawed, like reading through this yellow peril yeah. stuff. Cause it's like, holy shit. They didn't know shit about them back then. Mm-hmm. And then on the flip side, 
there is um, the model minority thing or the, the concept. Mm-hmm. And that seems like, again, it's a, to- it's, it's a misrepresentation, but it's, it's a different type of misrepresentation in yeah. that. So at least they had a little more knowledge about who these people were, but they had these knowledge based on them living in their house, mm-hmm. in their, in their land. Yeah. And so that's a different, you know, when you see someone in your house versus someone in their house, they're totally different people. They're not, they're not comfortable. They're, they're kind of finding their way around. They're like, Oh, where's the bathroom? Like they don't know this shit. And so there's going to be, there's going to be a totally different attitude. And there's a total different treatment of your environment. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it makes sense that the idea of them would be head down, you know, hardworking, mm-hmm. just shut up and, you know, docile type being because they didn't want to get like, uh, killed or deported or anything they just wanted to survive and be able to build a structure Mm -hmm. and then go from there and so from that they got these few images these ideas of what they would be and i again let me i'm not justifying this this is kind of just making sense of it all no no yeah in that in that era like there's no internet there's no knowledge of information if someone had said you know mensa musa to someone in the United States, you're like, what, who the that fuck is that guy? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, even people in my age and down, they don't really know who Mansa Musa was. That guy mm-hmm. was one of the richest people ever to exist ever yeah. of all people. And it's, it's one of those, it's one of those things that we just, um, we misunderstood. And now we're kind of embarrassed about it because we don't know. So we kind of teach it. And like, I, I actually remember learning about some of the, you know, uh, Asian American, Asian immigration in the United States. I remember hearing about the yellow peril, but it was all passive. It was all like, fuck, like we, it happened. We got to tell you, but like, we didn't want to because we didn't know at the time. And it seemed like an embarrassing mistake that a lot of people, because they're idiots. Um, but most people who aren't idiots and have some sense of understanding of how this all went down, realize that, you can't generalize. You can't generalize mm-hmm. a people. You can't generalize a race. You can't generalize a country. You can't generalize a community of people. Um, and so with that, like it makes it, I mean, it doesn't make sense in our terms, but yeah. you know, you know, as like a, scope, how it happened, how it happened. Yeah. It's a yeah. crazy, it's a crazy, like mm-hmm. the, the way it happened. I mean, it just, the, my, if there's anything that I would gather from that, it was, the maintenance of their pride, you know, making sure that they feel white people generally feel Mm -hmm. like they are better, but they're still scared. There's a fear. There is, I don't know what the, who the, like when you meet someone for the first time, there is not, there's only so much information you can gather from that person. There's only so much information from a conversation you can have, even a five minute conversation you get Mm -hmm. maybe where they're from, maybe their name, and their age if they speak the same language if they speak the same language even then yeah. and if they don't you just say you're just pointing at things and trying to yeah. teach them a word or something like it's there's yeah. no there's just so little known and so it seems like and it happened it occurred all over uh history mm-hmm. but it's that was that's something i've gathered the most um, yeah no I, I definitely agree with your your sort of construction of like wh- what it might feel like to experience that yeah uh, but I think I might I, I might offer a con, uh, a, a complication okay. to like why 
why they were so scared and why they were why why these sort of conceptions were built of like what a Chinese American is or what a, mm-hmm. a Chinese person is. Um, and I think that starts with like, you think about like the British and colonization and also like the construction of race, right? So the reason you think of like yellow, yellow peril and what's that rooted in and like this, this barbaric, like dehuman, like base human sort of thing, like that was constructed so you could one, sell them, like uh, give them lower wages when they're working so if, if you have two, like a white person and an Asian person wait, working on the same railroad, you've got to find some sort of justification to pay this guy less, less than the other than guy. guy yeah. um, and so you say, oh, he's, he's not quite human. We can pay him a little bit less. He's just a little yeah. less. Yeah. And then on the other side of that is like in, in, uh, in Britain, like the reason like there was a sort of exodus was because, oh, because we can now just sell them opium. Opium's banned in, in Britain. Mm-hmm. No one can smoke opium. But we can grow it in India and then ship it to China and then take all their tea and porcelain and silver because that's okay because they're not they're not they're not white they're not really humans so that's okay yeah yeah so I, I think I think always I try to think about like maybe like that's how it's experienced as like this fear like within the population but like why did that first come like why was that first constructed as like a seed to that idea of like wow these people are different they must be bad. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the whole pride part. It's something that I've come to realize over like, I don't know, a year of this is a lot of the flaws of just humans is the thing, their ego pride. Mm -hmm. It's, it's the sense that they need to hold on to this thing because if not, they're nothing, they're less, they're, they're inferior. Mm -hmm. And so it's a concern. And so when, if, when you do everything in your will to hold on to this pride, to the sense that you're mm-hmm. not even, you're not even superior, but you're just good. You're good enough. Mm-hmm. When you see someone who is working harder than you, uh, <clears throat> doing things that just you can't necessarily do, or even just existing in a way that you can't because of mm-hmm. your, your, uh, or you can't even imagine, um, that's the fear part is like you get so, so caught up in that pride that you forget. And there's this loss of, of understanding and like willingness to, Oh, they just don't look different, but they got a brain, they got a heart, they got legs and hands and they, they have a society, they have structure, they have commerce, they have these things that make them human, but it's just a ver they just filtered through a different place. And it's such a crazy thing to like, again, it's, it's not something I can totally rationalize, but it's something that is when you were describing the whole construction of race thing is that they, they did it intentionally to separate themselves from people who look different. Mm -hmm. And so when you deconstruct it and you look at just like pure, you put these two people together, they're both scared as shit when they first meet each other. Mm-hmm. You, get, you get two guys who just have never seen each other before, think they're aliens for all they know. Yeah. And, but they want to show, because this is an innate human thing is, is showing our value, showing this meaning that we have. And that's something that we have to sustain in ourselves. That's why we work. That's why we do activity. That's why we have hobbies. Mm-hmm. That's why we do anything in life is to give ourselves a sense of meaning. Um, but then it was, there was so much being uncovered. There's so much trying to be figured out that at that point, 
when they did figure something out and they said, all right, all right, all right. These guys, they have this stuff that we like, opium, and, <laughs> and we want it. <laughs> and, and was it, wait, so was it they take the tea? English take yeah. the tea? So, so basically what it was was, well, opium had been sort of used recreationally, like very like low level. Yeah. Um, like, like you get like drug use generally diffuse across any population you look at. I, like, I, we could talk about that for, yeah. we'll, we'll get into that. Yeah. <laughs> but it was more of like, it, it got to a point where the, I don't know how much familiar, familiarity you have with like a balance of trade, for example. Um, it's like, it so, means like when the two companies are trading with each other, generally it's like seen as a bad thing when you're like buying a ton of stuff and not really selling okay, them. Yeah, yeah, back. yeah. Having, and that's what, that's what balance, the problem yeah. was, was like China used to be this like superpower, right? This global empire or regional empire, at least you could say, um, that was producing these high quality teas, this beautiful porcelain, had a ton of silver, had a functional government, all these sort of things. Yeah. And then so British, the British were trying to trade with them and they were like, oh, we've got these, these like spun cloths and we have this like sheepskin and stuff like that. And China was going, we don't want any of that shit. Like, <laughs> that's, we have that. You, you can buy our silver, you can buy our tea, but we don't yeah. want any of the stuff you want. Yeah. So the, the, the British Empire sort of engineered this system then to like, bring in like opium into the balance of trade to offset that and it's actually really interesting to think about because the the chinese emperors didn't want this to happen they expressly forbade these ships from coming in and selling but then what the what happened was and like why the the, the history ended up like existing as it is was the british um like east india company was able to use military force to enforce mm. like blow up all these ships like china at that time had thought of themselves as like the middle kingdom right they thought they were the biggest the most important they didn't have a, a functional navy mm. they really didn't have an army that well set up so the british were able to just come in and dominate like militarily and enforce these policies so that's where you sort of get this like okay like we really need to offset this balance of trade we're just going to pump you full of opium yeah. oh you don't want you don't want like this massive drug trade just going into your company, <laughs> into your country. Too bad. We're gonna fucking kill you if you yeah. don't make it. Damn. So that's that's the that's the maintenance of pride, dude. That's like we don't want to buy too much. We want to keep a balanced trade. So we're just gonna fuck you up in the process. Yeah. That's crazy. And yeah. thousands and millions of dollars made off of it. I mean, yeah. I think I think actually, like I didn't know this until recently. I was looking back. Amherst is doing its 200-year capital campaign, right? Mm -hmm. the, the, the seminal donation to the Amherst endowment came from, I think it was David Sears in 1886 or something, uh, 1884 maybe, $10,000, which at the time was an enormous amount That's of money. That's a lot guess, of money back then. Guess, guess where that money came from? He inherited, he inherited it from his father, who was a, a Chinese, uh, he was a, a British merchant, who, or like, he was based in Boston, he was like a Bostonian merchant, who made all of his fortune in the Chinese, like, in the China trade. Wow. So, I so, mean, it, it's interesting to see how these threads of history tie throughout yeah, yeah. our lives even today, like, and this was a time where Amherst was like, didn't have any money, like, was struggling financially, it was, it's on the website, you can look at it now, but yeah, it's interesting to see, like. Amherst wouldn't exist without that. Where money, where money comes from. Yeah. Um, 
Hold on, I'm gonna write that down because it's interesting. But um, <clears throat> something yeah, about lost. so <laughs> no, no, actually, we can circle back a couple times with that. But um, one thing was the I, I remember learning this stuff, but like I I didn't learn shit when I was younger. I I have ADHD, and I for the longest time I was like I got by by just answering the right questions, mm-hmm. getting enough. And I didn't learn shit. So I know the name. Like, I know what East India Company was. I have an idea that that existed. Mm-hmm. But, like, the co- like what actually went on and how it occurred and, and what, what happened, no idea. But so in that case, I'm assuming the British benefited a lot more than, than the Chinese in that case. Because they, oh, absolutely. they yeah. didn't even, they didn't even, <laughs> like, there was no balance. It, it, was, it was this way and then it, it tipped the balance the other way. Yeah, because inevitably what happened was, I mean, opium is an addictive drug. Yeah. It, there's a lot of, like, negative effects on a country's population. So you have this explosion of, like, opium dens, and then, like, the government trying as best they can to sort of, like, shut this down. They can't. And eventually they're so, they're so overrun with this sort of, like, the, 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 this, like, this bureaucratic problem, this corruption, this um, public health crisis, basically, that eventually what happens is they end up sort of collapsing into a little bit of like infighting. And then you think of like, um, there is this, this race to split up China. So there you see all the European powers, like Germany took Manchuria, like Russia was trying to come through the the land, like the land connection through there, like France, like, so because of like all these factors, like this ineptitude, all these European powers ended up saying, okay, like some new land, like crazy. Let's yeah. go, let's go take over. Let's... How did that happen? <laughs> yeah. So, and, and then, and that there's a lot of like sort of geopolitics there, but that sort of starts what's generally considered the century of humiliation because China thinks of itself as the middle kingdom thinks of itself as like the most important. Like if you look at Chinese maps, China's right in the middle. Yeah. Like, you have us and like europe on the other on the outskirts like yeah kind of thinks of itself as the middle kingdom and so losing and being like ruled by a foreign power is like thought of like the biggest humiliation you could have possibly have thought of yeah and that's actually got some really interesting implications for geopolitics today right i mean you think about hong kong the reason Mm. china really wants hong kong back is because they think wait a minute this was a this was colonized. The British took this from us. Yeah. But it's developed its own, like, really complicated, like, uh, its own culture, its own sort of identity. And now there's, like, d- different, like, ideologies that have sort of morphed into, like, democratic versus communist. Or I guess if you want to call it communism, it's not exactly communism. Like, uh, left and right? Or, but, like, I guess there's a lot of tension between, like, uh, Hong Kong's struggle for democracy right now. Yeah. Huh. And there, I don't know, last year there were tons of protests and like the universities were yeah. shut down and students were like firing tear gas because Beijing was like trying to reassert its cultural dominance over that, which yeah. like you can see both sides of that. You yeah. can see one side, like <laughs> mainland China saying, wait a minute, like <laughs> You're this ours. is part of China. <laughs> the British, the British took over. This is a return of like our land. This is a turn return of like our homeland but on the other hand you can see like everyone who's lived in hong kong for 50 years who's only known 
sort of like um, democratic rules. Yeah. Hong Kong as Hong Kong as a British colony because no one really lived in Hong Kong before the British. It was sort of like a trading port, like a mm. fishing village. And it's sort of like, and now there's millions of people that live there, but none of those people like sort of really lived there beforehand. So it's, it's really complicated. And yeah, there, there's, there's specific aspects of like current politics of like China returning to sort of an empire and trying to exert its dominance over like the, the regional, um, the, the region generally. Yeah. You can think about it a lot, but yeah, crazy stuff. Yeah. And I, I, I would say like, I also didn't learn about this as a kid. No. So this isn't something that like was a failing or that like you like didn't pay it like. Didn't pay it's enough just, attention. Yeah. It, this is something that's not taught. Like. Yeah. There was like that, what you just explained, did not learn. <laughs> yeah. or at least if i did i learned it on a very like superficial level yeah it was just kind of this stuff happened and <laughs> don't wonder why yeah if, if if uh listeners really want a good book you should check out modern china by jonathan spence it's like 800 pages it's like the last 300 years of chinese history but a good it's read. fucking dense it's it, i thought it was amazing i mean there's so much nuance and so much crazy shit that happened really? Look up, look up the Boxer Rebellion when you have time. It's just, okay. it's like a bunch of like, from what I remember, just a bunch of like religious zealots who thought they were like gods and like inspired like a rebellion of like 25 million people to like try to take over. It's, it's, there's some crazy stories like that. of like, yeah. I looked up Boxer Rebellion and I got the band. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I wanted. <laughs> Maybe add China to the end of it. Yeah, that. no, I, I got it. Wow, they practice Chinese martial arts. Oh, that's the uh, boxer. That makes sense. Wow. This is nuts. All right, I'm going to read this later. Yeah, but it, that's insane. insane. Yeah. Um, one thing, uh, you mentioned the opium thing. Yes. And drug use in, I guess, in, in just, I guess, ancient times, I, think mm-hmm. I guess, older times. Um. One thing I've I've uh, I've seen about is this is totally spurring off now, but like with opium, but other other uh, drugs like marijuana and uh, mm-hmm. and even psilocybin, which is the the psychoactive and ingredient mushroom. in mushrooms. Yeah, a lot of them. The idea, and this is this has been this is kind of a not controversial, but it's it's getting like back. It's, there's a lot of back and forth on it, and is that the 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 stemming of religion started with these uh, uh you know these apop- prophets or whatever just people that just took these uh took either ingested like there's ergot also which is a um it's a toxic but also a psychoactive um chemical in uh mm-hmm. or compound in what can be i can't remember oh it's in mead that's what it was Ooh. yeah crazy thing and so you can uh, you can see like in um, I was just listening to this podcast with uh, Brian Moret- Murescu, Mur- er- I can't remember his name, but he's awesome. And then Graham Hancock. And they talk about how this um, there's in Sanskrit, which is like the first written language in uh, in human history is, yeah. was they talk about taking these these drinking of like the earth it's like the gut of the earth like these yeah like these extremely like uh heavy 
uh, heavy, consciously heavy um, substances. And then they would have these visions. They'd talk about Plato. He would go, um, the Ulysses, uh, Ulysses, Ulysses, I think is what it was. And he would, he would practice for months and preparing for this, this experience. And then he would take this dosage of whatever it was. Uh It was supposedly some psychedelic um, uh, substance. And he would, and then we'd have this insane visions and, and just, and experience something that would change him forever. And then it would, it would kind of carry on into what, like he became one of the great, he's, we know, we know who Plato yeah. is. He's a lot. He's one of yeah. the well, most well-known philosophers uh, ever in human history. Um, but an interesting one was opium because opium has a different effect on, on consciousness and, and uh, your, your brain and everything. It's, it's much more about cessation and, um, and much more about, I guess, like um, if you were to differentiate between drugs that we know as as being uh relatively harmful today so opioids mm-hmm. meth heroin uh the, the generally more addictive things mm-hmm. uh, those are more in the dissociative range they they separate you from your current state they mm-hmm. and they don't uh and they they seem to be more alleviation of what's going on there's a there's a yeah. there's like all right you know i'm sitting right now i hate this I'm going to take, I'm going to shoot up some heroin or I'm going to smoke some opium. And then it's just like, nothing matters. Yeah. Uh, Versus with psychedelics. um, It was seen that it was much more of a a trans state. There was a flow state that was experienced. And there was these, these life changing uh, experiences where they would, um, especially in Christianity, which is crazy because Christianity, if we know anything about Christianity there, like purity Christians, <laughs> yeah, it's all purity and, and just, and, you know, God will shame you. God fearing yeah. man. And I'm like the more I I'm not a, I wasn't raised Christian, um, mm-hmm. but I, I went to a Catholic school for until third grade from like mm-hmm. kindergarten to third grade and really get much out of it. But like, I, I remember that I, I went to church and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I haven't gone to church since then, but I always treated it as like, <laughs> this is, this is really more like not the best analogy, but like Nazis, Christianity, like just how hardline there is, like, you have to follow these rules. It was similar. Um, and Very prescriptive. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's like not manipulative and there's not mm-hmm. a lot of opportunity to be an individual within that, within that realm. But the more I hear about this stuff and the more I read about it, there's a lot more that was um, sh- pointing in the direction of, first off, a lot of it was written in Latin and in other languages. And so a lot of it is, is translations and translation never gets it spot on. It rarely yeah. does now. There's not a direct, perfect translation of Sanskrit, yeah. for example, especially because the style of speech and writing was just totally different the structure was totally different and so when there was when there were these experiences i mean who the fuck just sits in a place and then sees god like there's it came from something there was something that took you there Um, it's the same thing with uh in south american like aztecs and um fuck what's the other the the more native yes the the they're all they would also take these these mushrooms and and have these insane experiences and that's how actually ayahuasca ayahuasca as well peyote and and uh 
actually outward by where I am. But main, like kind of the start of these religions really uh, came from visions and, and a, a unifying experience that connected you to the rest of the world. And that's mm-hmm. something that I've, I've really thought about with like what we were talking about with like the construction of race and fear and pride and all these things yeah. that really have to hold you down to who you are and keep you within this sense of meaning and something that um, is, is really noted across many of these drug induced experiences is that none of that matters when you, you, for example, there was a big, um, <clears throat> a big case of the development of, of, human consciousness and human knowledge was mm-hmm. through these, these psychedelic experiences. And one thing was like, if you were in hunter gatherer times, you take mushrooms unknowingly that they were having like what they would do to you, Yeah. but they would lower your fear, um, your sense of fear. And you would be mm-hmm. able to fight a fucking tiger or whatever had to come at you a bear. Yeah. And you'd be willing because you'd be, you were courageous and you were, but, it maintained your compassion. So there was that connectivity <clears throat> that was maintained and you can see in Europe, I mean, there is so, there not now that's changing, but in Europe in, in, you know, 1600s to like 1900s, 1800s, there was a big disconnect in that. And uh, from this, like a unified human consciousness in that it's, it doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what, you do and how different your lifestyle is to mine you're still a person and you you have a language you have a way of being and that's something that it like pisses me the fuck off that it's like oh my god we had a chance we had a good chance where it all came together it all could have just been like holding hands figuring out what's going on and then maybe had instead of the tower of babel where it's like the only thing that's keeping us <clears throat> from uniting as a human race is mm-hmm language and it's like well now that we know that let's try to you know make friends but it was interesting that like opium was kind of the flip side of that and that it's a cessation it's a it's a more you can control someone in that state yeah i mean i guess you can do it with psychedelics but it's it's much more in the moment um Mm -hmm. when you're just you're just a body that's kind of floating in that sense yeah Um, and that's something that is is interesting to see it's like you were talking about with um england and china and that 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 literally not i wouldn't say that's the one reason that china had its little dispersion of land but it's a big reason it no, was, it's, you're it was right. a loss it's... of motivation a loss of of connect like a loss of um of structure and and uh what's the word hey. yeah go ahead well, I mean, you also talked about its addictive qualities, right? Yes, like, yes, it's addictive. It, they're highly too. addictive. Yeah. So when, when you're dependent on these things, you end up just throwing your money and your money and your money. You sell everything. You sort of you start stealing to get money to do these yeah. like, It has spillover effects of like, it sort of it ends up a little bit of a degradation of like the lifestyle and the life and the culture that you were living with beforehand. So. Yeah. It's a damn yeah, shame that big part. it had to go like that. Um, yeah. But another thing that I was remembering was um, <clears throat> you mentioned the whole, how Amherst, the first big donor to yeah. Amherst was from uh, his father was made money from the East India company. Right. Yeah. And um, 
the idea of this is totally unrelated too, but I just wanted to spur off into this tainted money and how you were talking about how things influence, like things from hundreds of years ago influence stuff today. And it's kind of the same kind of thing. For example, Christianity has existed for thousands of years and it still influences people, government, society to some extent today. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's also something that has, I guess it's a lot more religions, a lot more nuanced than, um, than I think your headphones disconnected. My computer is being really weird. It's okay. You good? I can hear you now. <laughs> Can you hear me? My like, yeah, my music just started playing in the background. Oh. I don't know why. <laughs> just overplaying, like, what is going on? Yeah, so yeah. I was hearing you and music. Oh, my bad, sorry. No, you're good, you're good. Um, but like with how where religions come from, obviously that's a lot mm-hmm. more nuanced. There's a lot more that has gone on versus what money does and what it can be and how it can be used. Um, but what are your thoughts on like, that, for example, your your father made all this money, and it was, and I guess like not your father, but let's say I was David Sears's like great great grandson, and I inherited a fuck ton of money too. Um, how what do you think of that? Like the moral kind of um, conundrum there that when it when you're when you're taught something like that. Yeah, I mean. That's that's a huge question. I struggle with that myself today. So um, I don't know. I don't know if I have quite an answer for you, like mm-hmm. a, a perfect answer of like what I would do and what the Podcast. moral implications are. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think. I mean, I think on some level, like it depends on what you believe in and what your morals are, right? Like mm-hmm. if if, for example, this son so i think david sears the kid the guy who gave away his dad's money to amherst for example yeah i'm sure thought he was doing a good job at the time like i'm like i don't think he was actively um engaging in like chinese like opium exploitative trade yeah um but i mean you can imagine him saying like okay wow i i don't believe in making money off of destroying a centuries-old country and civilization and like confining people to poverty for the next 200 years. I'm like, if you believe that, then I think, yeah, you can have some uh, like moral doctrine or moral impetus to have to like get rid of that money and give it away. Um, But it's also like, there's no overarching power that's forcing you to do anything, right? There's no government that's coming to tax you. Yeah. There's no like, I don't know outside organization that's going to say hey wait a minute this is tainted money you got to give us some of it yeah it's entirely up to what your moral beliefs are yeah and like what you're willing to sacrifice for that because like i don't i mean i don't think ten thousand dollars while a huge sum of money then like bankrupted him like i don't know if he gave all the money away yeah true so yeah I, i don't know what do you think about that it's a weird one um because like not even the idea of like tainted money alone, but just the idea of inheriting money. Um, mm-hmm. I think something in our, in our culture, like if you grew up in an affluent family, the, in our age more so, there's the idea of like giving it back more though than more than just keeping it and using it for yourself. Um, and so it's like that where 
doing what you choose to do with it versus a, a societal obligation. Maybe you're guilty or you feel guilty about something and, mm-hmm. or, or you're taxed for whatever reason. Um, but I, I think <clears throat> in, in the case of David Sears, if I were in that situation, it's hard to tell with that one exactly. But if mm-hmm. I, let's say I were the lin- in the lineage and yeah. I was now benefiting from that, mm-hmm. um, from the inheritance, it would, I would definitely assort a, a, an amount where it would, it would go to trying to better the world in some way. I think that would be, if anything, I would look to philanthropically affect the world, uh, maybe by donating, maybe by paying for something that, that like a, a machine or something, something that is of, of, of use to a, to a, to a community or a society, or maybe it's an introduction of, of, um, of a new system of something or helping fund something. Mm-hmm. I think I would, I would allot a certain amount of that money where obviously I'd want to keep some, I mean, I, I want to eat and live and have yeah. a house and all this stuff and be able transportation, all these things, the necessary mm-hmm. modes of life. But I would want to have enough, where, like be able to, you know, implement enough where it feels like I'm having an influence, giving back. I don't know what the word, the terminology of the word phrasing would be, but it's somewhere where I'm, I've obviously the weight is not on me. I'm not the one who was exploiting uh, China mm-hmm. and I wasn't ruining a centuries old uh, empire, but like there is some something I can do. And I think that's where I yeah. would, I would do something that would look to benefit the world some way. Um, yeah. It's no, not, yeah, it's I, not like totally straight, you know, dead on what I know to do. Um, but it would, it would at least, it, it also depends on how much money, like if it's like a, a ridiculous amount of money, like yeah. there could be a lot of money there that you yeah. could use if it's, it's a if it's not that much money and it's it's kind of it's necessary for like a a, a living uh mm-hmm. living your life then it's it's a totally different circumstance yeah no i think i definitely i mean that that sort of conversation i think is only a little bit relevant when it is like a ridiculous like yeah yeah like because i mean like that much money like 200 years ago like is gonna grow and is gonna multiply because there's like a rate of return on capital. Yeah. Provided you're not like spending it all on casinos or whatever. Like, <laughs> you know, there's there's some like self-destructive behaviors that come with wealth. Yeah. Um, but yeah, actually, not, as you were talking, I was thinking about I would probably try to find, at least because this is like sort of how I view like my morals and how like this is what I believe is mm-hmm. I'd probably try to find some way to return it and make a sort of like uh, some, some level of like reparation or like justice for what yeah, happened. Right. Exactly. Um, obviously that's like, in theory, that's what I would try to do. It's difficult when it's like, okay, like China as an organization or as a country. Yeah. And like, I'm not just like robbing a specific person. Um, so there's like a lot of nuance to navigate there, but I, yeah, I do think there's some importance of like, maybe I wasn't the one 
who like went out and like shot these people and shot them full of drugs and then took all their money, <laughs> which is like a crude, crude explanation of what happened. But, but if you were to zoom out and if you were yeah. to personalize it, that's what it would be like. Yeah. It's a, yeah. These, yeah. If I was the person, to do, even if I wasn't the person to do that, I'm still benefiting from it. Like, yeah. A hundred years down the line or however long it may be 10 years down the line or whatever. Um, so I think I would try to, like acknowledge that and be like, look, I'm benefiting from these people suffering. Let me try to return yeah. some of that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a hugely difficult question. Um, yeah, because this is also the purely kind of reductionist view. It's like, I didn't do shit. <laughs> so and I could. People can say that. And there's yeah. no one to say like, like, yeah, I don't know. Like you didn't do that. No one's going to force you to do anything. Yeah. Like, so it's purely internal, purely like an ethical decision yeah. that you just go, okay, this is a lot of money. <laughs> it's like a yeah. hundred million dollars. Like I don't need a hundred million dollars. It's ridiculous. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> That's quite a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, um, it's an interesting thing. Like considering that uh, the, the tainting of anything from because of its past um mm -hmm. it's the same thing with uh going back to like christianity and religion i mean it's a lot of religions except buddhism and like hinduism because they're those are chill but <laughs> at least for the most part i mean there is there is like a little issue with not little there is an issue i think in india of um there's a hindu ruling i can't remember exactly but like the caste system i i don't know i don't want to speak on it without knowing no, no, no. exactly i should I also avoid yeah it's fine <laughs> it's there's, there's something wrong there i think with sects of hinduism and their mm. their that's like their big uh problem um but it's the same thing i think with um with christianity i mean like uh i on a previous podcast someone like re-enlightened me about like the crusaders just like a wild story and like what they did is just fucked it's crazy yeah. But, and there's, there's been a lot of also, um, you know, justifications for a lot of heinous acts um, done by Christians and other oh, religions. I mean, Islam, yeah. uh, I guess I haven't heard of anything that Judaism has done, but maybe, um, I guess, Old Testament style things. But there's, there's, I guess, of those, the big religion, I guess, Islam and, and Christianity, mm -hmm. there's been a lot of uh acts done in the name of these religions mm -hmm. and you don't um and i think that's a that's a shame more than anything because it's come from a place of unification a place of yeah. of uh of a metaphysical understanding of the world and making sense of the world and making sense of how to live a life that is good and moral um and it's it's like it's impossible for me. You, I cannot think of a way to convince me um, right now. Obviously, maybe if I was down and in the dumps of life, then maybe I'd be like, "Well, God could help me out." But right now, I'm pretty solidified on who I am as a person and how to be in the in the world. Um, and it, it's yeah, you really couldn't convince me to to follow. Uh, christianity because of the i mean obviously there's so many ways of being a christian person mm -hmm. there's this the, the conservative the fundamentalist the mm -hmm. even the radical and then there's um 
I guess conservative, and then there's more of a I can't think of the next word. There's another. There's like someone. Sam Harris has a. If, this is more for Islam, but he has mm-hmm. like concentric circles. It's like four concentric circles for um what like the types of people of types of um not people types of following of Islam and yeah. the, the like farthest the spectrum out. of yeah how exa- how like strong and fundamental it is. yes exactly. Um, and I think the farthest out is like reformists. And I think mm-hmm. that's, that's probably what most people, most, especially most uh, Islamic followers are, are reformists. They're just, they kind of mold their 21st century worldview with what Islam has mm-hmm. to offer them. Uh, and, and I think that's the same thing you can do with Christianity, but um, it's so hard to justify all of that that is written in the old and new testament i mean and same thing with it is in islam like they're in the quran and and um there's two other that i'm blanking on well there's there's muhammad's uh, biography that's another mm-hmm. big scripture but these things they they you know there's like cut the hands off of uh robert or cut the hands of thieves mm-hmm. or stone people to death if they they leave the religion like all these things that are, are part of the scriptures mm-hmm. and the biggest thing is in, in these religions is do not touch the scriptures. Do not edit anything, leave it all. And it's like, dude, a guy wrote that a bunch of guys sat down probably after tripping their nuts off (laughs) and, and just decided to write a big ass book that would make sense of the world. And back then the standards of living were totally different. People died Mm -hmm. at 30, people died at Mm -hmm. seven. And then people died at 80 also. Like it was yeah. a lot more there. There was um, like rape was cool back then. Like there was things that we're, we're looking at now that would just never be acceptable. Um, yeah. Even in Sharia law, Sharia law, which is probably the most fundamentalist application of Islamic rule. And that's mm-hmm. still saying like, don't cut the hands off thieves. That's stupid. It's, I don't know <laughs> if that's actually the case, but there's like, there's, there's more of the yeah. outrageous uh, um, manifestations of that. But now jumping to like Buddhism, which is, I mean, I've never heard of anything that someone has done in the name of Buddhism that is like heinous. <laughs> and um, Ooh, I might be bursting a bottle then. Um, I'm trying to, there's a specific, I think in Myanmar, um, it might be worth looking. In Myanmar, I think there's some... Um, hostility? Like hostile. So I think it's the Rohingya population in Myanmar is a population of like Islamic, uh, like a minority Islamic faith in Myanmar. And then so the majority population is Buddhist then. And so there's mm-hmm. been a lot of like the Rohingya genocide, for example, is like carried oh. out in the name of religion. So yeah, shit. Well, there's not not. Like, I mean, it's like I so saying, like these things perfect. are. Yeah, I mean not these a, things. They're like human. Like humans yeah. have a tendency to find labels and then use those labels to justify actions to improve themselves or or their lot in life or. Yeah, um, these sorts of things. So I, 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 I think I like personally am in a similar place as you. Is like, I don't think I, I consider myself fairly agnostic at this point. Like, I don't mm. f- subscribe or follow to any sort of major religions, but I think I view religion generally as like 
a call for community and a desire for love and acceptance and finding a family. Um, and so I have no problem at all with any sort of religious beliefs along those sort of lines. It's only yeah. when it's like institutionalized and then used to carry out like pedophilic hacks against like children and then cover yeah. it up or like, yeah, actually like, um, like, like crusades or like, genocides or genocide yeah yeah just extreme acts of of human error (laughs) yeah but yeah it's um it's a weird thing now that like if like i agree with you on that um if anything it is it is a call for just being in the world having community sense of sense of existence in the world um and a big part of that is um is the wisdom that is gained from mm-hmm. from uh, a lot of the stories that are written in these scriptures um for ex- yeah. like a lot of the stuff will be like for example um i think there was something where in christian i think in all in judaism christianity and islam they all say own slaves like that yeah no don't do that but there's things where there's stories and there's these there's these um you know out, not extraordinary circumstances that that have um consequences that are incredibly negative but i think what is kind of the justification a big justification is the um is that they're they're metaphors for a greater you know sense of who how to be a person yeah um which like i would say justifies another of 50 percent of like the shitty stuff that's written and that stuff but you still got a bunch of things i i just my big thing is is that if you're gonna follow a religion, remember that there is not one way to follow that religion. There is there is your interpretation of how these things are, and that they allow you to be in this world. But they can't be the only thing that guides your ethical and moral values. You have to also mold into what society you're in. And I think that's yeah. that's the difficulty of what using purely being like a fundamentalist religion religious person um you kind of lose but i think but i think the wisdom that's gathered from these things is is what's guided like that's what allowed people to be atheist without without religion i feel like it would have taken us a lot longer to figure out what a good life and a bad life might be like and what um yeah really what 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 feeling having a sense of meaning would really feel like if, if we didn't really have some sort of metaphysical understanding of the world that can't be really explained, but um, sounds right enough. Yeah. No, I mean, I, this is sort of tangentially related to like philosophy generally, yeah. but I mean, there's plenty of things that I have like known and learned about the world. If you think about like biology and the, like the creation of life of like, I have no explanation for that. Like, I, I can't point to a thing of like, Oh yeah, these are the 10 steps. And like, if you think about things like regulation and like even down to like the cellular, the genetic level, it's so yeah. beautiful. It's so tight. It's incredible. And like, I'm, I probably know like maybe like 20% of like anything there is to know, like, there, like people study this for live. Like my parents study this for like forty plus years. Like, yeah, and they're still learning every day. So like, there's so much to be examined there. But like, like looking at the complexity of those systems, it's like, I can't explain how that happened. But 
I don't know if I yet have like a, a, a point to a being, maybe it's just laws of entropy in the universe that mm-hmm. ended up creating. It doesn't have to be like designed. It doesn't have to be like on purpose, but yeah. I certainly don't think that there's some dude with a beard controlling <laughs> all this stuff. <laughs> there's anything. I will. My thing. I, I said this. You're right. He shaved. he shaved. He shaved. He shaved. <laughs> That's what happened. <laughs> um, my take on like God, if anything, take away religion, the attachments of religion, but just an over like what God is. I actually have a. It's. I don't know. I wonder what your your thoughts would be on this, but I um. My conception of God is not necessarily a conscious thing, a person, some, someone pulling the strings, but rather a, it's the relationship of space and time and humans mm-hmm. in, uh, that has an overarching, like an overarching force that yields the passage of time, the existence of space and, um, and that relationship creating what is, you know, nature the state of nature. And then from there, there's purely like, there's, there's a mixture. This goes into philosophy more, but the mixture of determinism and randomness. And Mm -hmm. there's kind of like things lead to things, but they don't necessarily lead. If for example, you drink water, you're going to pee, but it's like when you'll pee, you don't know. For example, there's there's changes in that. There's like uh-huh. variations in the added randomness that that comes into what what affects our day to day existence. Mm-hmm. I wonder what what you think of that. That's actually a very interesting. I've never thought of it that way. So thank you for for introducing that thought process yeah. to me. I think I would consider like I mean you were talking about like these like fundamental things and like these laws of uh, or, like the creation of nature and the interaction of like time and of space yeah um one i will say like i have i have a very difficult time personally like struggling to break free of like a strictly like normal temporal consideration of like life oh and, like, yeah personality so th- this is a little bit i will say like it's outside of my like area of general thinking so yeah like take this with a grain of salt as well. <laughs> um but i think i think it makes sense that maybe it's not like a guy sitting in clouds designing everything that happens but the idea of like there are certain laws of the universe certain laws of nature of like like gravity and i don't know i don't understand enough physics to really like uh drill down to the minutiae of like what what consists of these laws but like of mathematics of these sorts of things yeah that do end up ruling nature and life i don't know how much of that is like a direct line though so I think like there's always causality. So you brought this, this idea of a, it's like there's you, something will affect something in the future. Like if some, there's some occurrence that will affect something in the future. I think I definitely agree with that, but I don't know how much of it is like a hundred percent like clear and transparent direct line and how much of that is sort of like a fuzzy array of things that could happen of like yeah. probabilities that certain things might happen and it shades it different ways. So it's more of like a nudge more than like a more of a nudge than necessarily like a direct like train track to one outcome yeah i think that's yeah. how i view it yeah that's interesting i mean i guess that's the, kind of the same thing with like determinism like if, if we were to yeah. get into more of the philosophy of, of humans in that there's determinism and and predestination and free will mm-hmm. um and this is an interesting one this is one like i don't want to 
before we do this, <laughs> before we keep talking about this, this is one of those things that if you think too much on it and you're not comfortable with the ideas that are presented, um, stop thinking about it and yeah. think about something else because yeah. it's something that can weigh heavily on a person. I mean, our laws, our judicial system is based on the concept of free will. And there's a lot of people that disagree with that. Not necessarily with the judicial judicial system, but free will itself. Mm -hmm. um, and this is something that I was lucky enough to not really care enough and have it weigh down on me enough. I'm also young, so I guess I have this chance to like ex explore this kind of th yeah. thinking. Um, but that's that whole, like you were saying, the train track versus this fuzzy path and yeah. fuzzy nudge. Yeah. Um, and that's honestly what the balance of like it, my existence feels like it's, it's something where there's, there's some stuff where if I do this, this will happen, but there's a chance, maybe probability that it might not. And, and yeah. that the fact that that exists gives like the opportunity of optimism, pessimism, and just kind of realism in that, mm -hmm. um, and it's the same, and it's also taps into um, kind of who we are as people, as um, a big thing in, in like today's day is the idea these these categories of existence and how much of an influence they have on your on the individual person. Um, mm -hmm. And to that, I say, there's definitely an influence. Your genetics have a play. Your environment has a play. Your parents have a play on that. Uh, where you're born has a play on that and those mm -hmm. things you didn't control but yeah <clears throat> once you're at a stage of of exploration like where i'm honestly like where i'm i'm kind of willing to tap into other things the mm -hmm. that it's gone from a train track to a huge array of fuzz that can go anywhere yeah. at that point and there's there's no general one direction that happens um and so I think, <clears throat> I think that there is a lot of deterministic existing um, circumstances. You know, if I, if I close my computer, the computer will turn off. But yeah. um, there's, there's things where, for example, if I wake up tomorrow at 6.30 in the morning, like I usually do, am I going to feel awake or am I going to feel super tired? Like there's no, yeah. I have no idea. There's things that can influence that. There's things that can, or for example, if I stretch tonight, am I going to feel good in the morning? Am I feeling nice and limber? Yeah. Maybe, maybe I'm going to feel tighter. There's, there's a lot of things that happen that, that mm. we just can't necessarily explain, but we can't also discount as being purely and in, inescapably just like free, free of everything. Yeah. Um, and that's, going back to like the judicial system, I don't know enough about the judicial system, but there's a big thing that's like a fundamental principle that is all humans have free will. And to that, I say bullshit because I, I don't, I don't think yeah. for one, um, when someone does something illegal, maybe they know it's illegal, but they may not know it's unethical and moral. They might actually, they, they, they most people, or it might not do, be, it might not be. There's also that. But most of the time, when someone does something, there is a rationalization, a justification in our minds yeah. that makes that yeah. thing feel right. So mm -hmm. when, what's his name? Lee Harvey Oswald shot JFK. 
he had a rationalization. He had a thought that was like, this guy needs to go. And that, and to them, to other people, to us, we're like, that's fucked up. Why would you do that? You're a bad person. But to that guy, he's thinking, no, that was totally necessary. There was all these things leading. I mean, there's all these things that, you know, occurred that, that happened and required me to do that thing. And, and, Mm -hmm. um, and that's the kind of the issue of, of like the freedom of will, the idea of freedom of will, because that not everyone, first off, not everyone is a blank slate. You don't, yeah. like I was just saying, you have all these predispositions to who you are and who you'll be, but you have a sense of control in those circumstances, you know, your reactions to things, your, mm-hmm. uh, your actions in those to anything, your, your, starting action to an existing circumstance. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it's just not, it's too easy to just say, Oh, he could have done, he could have not shot him. He could have not yeah. robbed the bank. It's like, yeah, but do you actually know what was going through that guy's head at that moment? He wasn't thinking he's like walking up to the place or what do it walking up to the, to the yeah. scenario. And he goes, you know what? This might be fucked up. I'm not going to do it anymore. Like there's not at that point when you're, for example, you're going to go do a workout and then you walk all the way to the gym. You take, you, you, you know, get dressed, you get your shoes on, you're walking in, you step to the door of the, of the uh, fitness center. And you go, I don't need it. And you go, you, at that point, your mind has settled into the reality that is, I'm going to exercise now. I'm going to get sweaty and I'm going to push my body Mm -hmm. to the extent that I want to. And Mm -hmm. that's, that's the difficult thing about, about um, rationalizing behaviors. You know, there's, there's a level of control you have, but how much you give yourself, that's, that's up to that person. And there's not much that they can do when there's so much going through that person's head that's saying, I need to do this. I want to do this. And I, and if I want to do this enough, I need to do this. This is why I'm doing, yeah. this is why I'm being in this world. Yeah. I actually really like how you tie that into crime. I mean, I think about that, especially right now, like there's been like a ton of cases where people have gone and like, like robbed pharmacies or robbed convenience stores and said like, I know this is wrong, but I got to feed my family. Yeah. Like, my family will start without this. And that's like, well, it's illegal. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. But like he, these people, people rationalize it and like i find myself like like very difficult to like i find it very difficult to like pass judgment on that yeah Uh, like penalize it but yeah i mean there is also like a relative that's like the tough thing you can't just say you know he is a good enough reason it's fine like you can't there are still expectations of people there are still expectations of 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 society that that we have to somehow uphold um, but I think my, if I were to like have a conclusion on that, it would be like the expectation should not be perfection. It just can't be. Yeah. Um, so if anything, it's, there should be opportunities of like restorative justice, you know, there's, Absolutely, yeah. there's, um, a big part of all this is framing the framing effect of your circumstance. So like mm-hmm. if you rob a pharmacy or drug or a convenience store, you know, you go to jail but you don't go for that long. And when you're going to jail, you're not just rotting in a fucking cell. You're actually like taking the time to learn, you know, you're getting your GED. Maybe, maybe you're, 
you're learning the ways of maybe you're reading philosophy and you're understanding how to move throughout the world in a way that allows you to be productive and and have this wisdom and and then be able to build from the ground up maybe maybe you're you're given more opportunity that maybe it's not handed to you because few things are in once you're in that state but once once you've committed a, a mistake you should have the chance to do something with that mistake now there are the problem is not everyone's going to be able to do that like a rapist is not just going to go you know I should have done that. Like some, some people might, some people might, I'm not going to generalize there, but some people will go, nah, that needed to happen. Like there's an innateness that is so drilled into that person's head that it's unfixable. Um, and there's, there's something where like, fuck, well, you don't want to put him back out in the world, but like, what's the point of having them in a cell too? That's like the problem of incarceration too. Yeah. I, I definitely struggle with that. I mean, I think I've lived a life that's been very privileged and I've sort of been removed from the reality of a lot of that level of crime. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I try to practice and I try to push myself to be like, Hey, maybe like everyone is redeemable. Like if you kill someone, you can still be redeemed. Like, I think if, there's like, always room. There's yeah. never no room for redemption. Yeah, no. And so I think that's Even what at I, the I try to level. I, I try to really um, impress on that, but it's also like, even like people also are like, if we're thinking about the U S justice system, always like, I think there's very little real justice there. I mean, cause like people get incarcerated for their entire lives because they're black and they're carrying an ounce of weed on them. Like yeah. that's a reality of what happens a lot of times. And then there's people who like we've talked about. Um, and if you're, if you're also thinking about these sort of like fuzzy pushes in each direction, there's like, people who like maybe need to feed their family so they get caught like robbing like stealing bread but then they get put in prison and then once they get there there's this really strong push into like more organized crime because you're trying to survive there and you're trying yeah. like after when you get out because you now you have a felony on your record and all like employers check for that you can't get a stable job again so now yeah. again you're re reduced to well, how do i feed my family how do i feed myself um, so the back do it it's no it's it's crazy because it's like that is the that is i have this analogy and this this kind of applies to this too but um it's that this is more on like ideological arguments let's mm -hmm. say there's a fence between you and me we're five feet apart and there's about a four foot fence and uh once you get below the fence you can't see anything that's the idea so I have a shovel and I have a ladder. <clears throat> so if I, if I take the ladder, uh, we'll start with the shovel first. So let's say we're arguing about just an, one thing and it's, we're disagreeing on that thing. Mm -hmm. And I start bashing you. I just start saying all the points that I know and that uh, may not even speak to what you're talking about. Maybe not even addressing your issues. And I start mm -hmm. insulting you and I start batting, batting, battering yeah. you just constantly. I'm digging myself a hole. I'm getting so, and, and at some point I get so deep in that hole. I can't even see what I'm arguing with anymore. I don't know mm -hmm. what it is. The idea is <clears throat> take the ladder, climb to the other side, walk around a little bit, you know, see what's going on, make sense of the circumstances. And now you have added wisdom and knowledge and ammunition. So now you can climb back to your side 
and now have the, this productive argument where you present something and then they present something to you and it's and it you now have an understanding of what they're talking about that doesn't just make it like immoral and just these people are ridiculous what what are they talking about mm-hmm. you actually have an understanding and this goes into what <clears throat> the issue of incarceration um you know someone <clears throat> is great is raised in a bad neighborhood they they're uh let's say their older brothers are all part of this gang the earth drug organization and once this kid turns like 14 or 13, he, he starts working for this organization. He turns 18, 20, he's 21, fucking gets incarcerated. He has now fucking worked in this organization for eight years. So he's like grinded it out. He knows that life. He knows nothing else. Mm-hmm. He gets caught with something and he goes to jail for, he's getting sentenced to jail for 25 years. That guy is going to be so fucking pissed off. Or even let's start that rep, start that back. You start working at thirteen, you you turn fifteen, you get caught, you go to you go to um what's the the kid jail? Juvie. Juvie. You go to juvenile juvie. detention. Yeah, ju- yeah. And then you turn eighteen, and now you get caught again. You get in trouble. Mm-hmm. You go to jail. You go to jail for three years. You come back. You're twenty one. You're a hardened person. That person is not just, you know realizing having an, a spiritual awakening that goes, you know, maybe this isn't the life for me because it's only three years in the, in the sense that that's how it's treated. The attitude is it's only three years. I'll be right back on the grind. And mm-hmm. there's probably people inside of that jail that are getting them, maintaining mm-hmm. the loyalty. There's all these things, these, these, it's yeah. a digging the hole, maintaining that person in the, that system of thought, that, that idea that is, this is the only way I'm going to succeed. And this is how I'm going to do it. And if I have to go to jail, I'm going to go to jail. It's just an obstacle to get through. It's, it's obviously, I don't know the mindset, but generally speaking, this is, this is kind of what it seems. But if you're now, let's say you run it back and this person's 13, they start working and they get in trouble. They go to, they go to juvie at 15. They're taught something. They're educated, you know, and not mm-hmm. just educated as though here's math, here's some science, here's some history. Like here's just stuff that we n- learn in schools. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, here's how to get a job. Here's how to, I can't think of other things, productive things. It's teaching mm-hmm. productivity, teaching, teaching things that give you meaning in life and that, that allow you to escape, not escape, but separate from what has been the general trajectory of your life. So when you turn 18 and now you're in, you can be in the system and you, you, or let's say that you're still 15, you leave the juvie and you go, this may not seem the life, but maybe they just get wrapped up back into it. And so mm-hmm. now three years go by, they get, get a uh, turn 18 there at that point, if that person were to go to jail again and the judicial system is still is, is now this new version of this revitalization, this, this restorative learning, this mm-hmm. opportunity, and not just a circulation of, of people yeah. coming in and coming out. There's a chance. So it's like a smack in the face. And then, all right, here is how to be a better person. Here's a little bit of philosophy. Here's maybe some religion if you want. Here's all these books you can read about how to be a lawyer, how to be a doctor, mm-hmm. how to be a teacher, how to be these things. And so when you come out, a lot that another element of this, maybe that person had a felony, the weight of that felony does not weigh down, weigh them down. It, it, yeah. it is a weight, obviously, because you, you made a mistake, but you can own that mistake and you can build yeah. off of it. So you're in an interview and they say, oh, you were caught with 
a lot of a lot of drugs and you know you did this or whatever it may be yeah. it's a felony charge or whatever and they go yeah i did but i've learned from that and i've built a system of thought and existence that has that has uh you know sustained me for long enough where i i feel like i can be in the workforce and i think i am i'm worth self-worth my self-worth mm -hmm. is enough where i think i can be a productive person yeah so be it the point is this these uh this incarceration system has the worst way of doing it it's just oh you fucked up bam bam it's like the same thing with um addiction you know there's addiction centers in the united states that they they use the tactics are shaming and and yeah. stigma it's, it's just garbage yeah it's so bad and in switzerland and i think in portugal as well um They've decriminalized. Yeah, well, they decriminalized it, but they've also have these these centers where, like in Switzerland, <clears throat> you can you get a job. They help you get a job. They help you get back your get your life back. And you, but at this at this uh, center, you can stay there as long as you want. Mm -hmm. And they give you your drug of choice. They whatever you're addicted to, they give you it, but they give you low doses. So un overdosable, if that's the word, you can't overdose. But yeah, you're still getting some exactly, and so there's there's a chance to turn that situation around, and it's not just you know putting them in a hole and then throwing shit at them and saying fuck you, you yeah. fucked up. It's just it's like a that fucking hurts whenever yeah. I hear about that kind of thing. No, and it's such an issue. No, I I agree, and I I really enjoy this vision you're creating of like a restorative justice system where you don't just like penalize people, but you try to like treat and rehabilitate and care and love for people, even though they've made a mistake. Um, but I, I would not push, it's not a pushback, but I would also say like, I think part of that also has to come from the construction that's outside of this person, right? Like there's a reason, um, at least in the American context, I'll speak to that because I, I, I'm most familiar with that. Yeah. There's a reason that like there's concentrated crime in certain areas it's because there's decades and centuries of yeah racial violence and segregation and even like most recently like denial of housing loans and the inability to like build a life build a home yeah. build any sort of stability for yourself um so like sort of these pushes into crime and then also like like there's also a reason why the justice system isn't what you've envisioned right like yeah. there's a reason why we have private prisons and there's a reason why there's a there's a prison like a school to prison pipeline right because there's some people who can make an obscene amount of money off of it um, whether that's government funded like grants to operate prisons or through free labor um, paying like uh, incarcerated people 25 cents an hour because yeah. They in can. the 13th amendment it's legal and it's a part of the constitution that yeah we're allowed to treat people like that yeah um, so i think it's it's like it's hard to for me at least the way i see, I, I find it very hard just generally to disaggregate like individual people from like the circumstances and the history yeah that inform their existence yeah well that's something that i actually appreciate you bringing that into the into the circumstance because something that i've thought about is like these changes that were to be implemented and the effects of these changes are not going to be in like a year. They're not going to go on in a couple of days. It's, it's going to take a decades, decade, 
Yeah. Um, and I think the point I'm trying to make more is that <clears throat> it starts somewhere yeah. and then it spreads. So let's say you started in, the car- in, in, in jails, um, in prisons. Those people that work in the prisons and work uh, and, and, and are, are staying in the prisons or incarcerated will then be able to start. It's kind of like it's just a wave. So yeah. you get a few people out. And they're not really going to make much change, but you get a hundred people out. There's going to be some change. You get a thousand people out. That's a bigger change. And I think it's, it's over time you allow for more and more of these things to, to, to uh, have an influence on the the society that they're in and the community that they're in. Along with that, that will then implement more of an empathy, empathetic, Mm -hmm. um, implementation of housing loans for example of of these these uh or these um uh policies that can influence lifestyle and an ability to thrive um and i think that's something that has to start somewhere and it's not i don't have the answers but that's mm-hmm. an idea that i had where it just it kind yeah. of starts with these these revitalization of meaning in people and then from there they can they can start making changes and then they be, maybe they be, some of them become lawmakers, you know, and they work within their system and they say, I've seen this shit. It's fucked up. Obviously they say in a very well-mannered, well-written, well-explained and descriptive manner. But you get what I'm saying is that yeah. once there's people who have experienced that, which obviously has happened, there are people who have been very successful out yeah, of these circumstances. Gonna, yeah. yeah. I'm not, I'm not just saying like, it's just going to happen. There is this this fuzzy area. It's not like a train to success. Mm. It has to continue to improve. And I'm I can guarantee that right now the judicial system and the, the justice system and the um and uh in car- and in the prison complex system, mm-hmm. they're gar- they're not helping. They're just not helping at all. And I think that's a huge part of this. You're like you're saying school to prison pipeline. That won't happen if this is something, if you make it where jail becomes a worthwhile spiritually awakening experience where you go, you know, I learned my lessons. I actually had a decent time in jail, but I don't think I need to be back there. And there's a whole attitude change, a a philosophy and an ideology that is just turns you away from wanting to be a badass and wanting to be counter to the system and stuff. And it's like, it starts there. It can start with, and there's also education, a big part of that too. I mean, all these elements play in. And I think the biggest one, the shittiest element, the, the one that's absolutely dragging the hardest is the, is the prison complex system. Yeah. It's just, it by far. Yeah. There's, there's some really, yeah. I mean, I, again, like I've been fortunate enough where like, this isn't something I don't experience. So I don't have yeah. the very knowledge of it. So I, I generally defer to a lot of these uh, like people who have been in the system and yeah. have better like well thought out and like yeah yeah of like okay so this policy right here this one let's get rid of that one yeah uh, but uh, yeah, I yeah I would agree with you like I, I think there there really needs to be a radical like racial I mean that uh, what is it uh, I can't transformative justice what am, what am I thinking restorative about? restorative there it is I've been revitalizing. Yeah, restore. There has to be this sort of like radical restorative justice where you're not just treating people as like, yeah, 
things to get rid of, but as people and try to learn from that. So yeah, there's yeah, a, there's, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah. Obviously I don't speak from a place of knowledge. I just speak from more of like, I've seen things and it just, and I've seen from like way back in the, the distance. And, you know, when you get that, you see what generally goes on, but you don't know why it happens, what's going on within that, these, these, the, the actual, you know, system. Um, but yeah, it's, it, I mean, that was just kind of like an inference on based yeah. on like what I've seen. Um, yeah. No, I, yeah. I'm with you. I think it's also like this idea of restorative justice. Sorry. Like this is sort of like going a little bit back to what we had originally started talking yeah. about, but like, I mean, we, we, we started like, uh, think like when we initially started thinking about like having a conversation today, um, I brought up the idea of like all these like Asian American, like hate crimes or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. and so I think well, there's one thing that's been like happening a ton. Like there's all these like famous Asian American actors who are like, Oh, I'll pay like a $25,000 bounty on whoever like comes up with like, for like information on whoever these people were who like there's like these hate crimes, like yeah. hate attacks. Um, but it's like, is that, is there, is the answer to those sort of attacks like more policing, more like. To, to hate, hate crimes? crimes? Yeah. Because like, is, or is it more like what, we, what we've talked about of like trying to be more restorative, trying to treat people as humans and as like changeable and, um, like able to reinvent themselves and atone for, or not necessarily atone, but like recognize yeah. and um, acknowledge and improve on their mistakes. Yeah, um, but it's it's a it's a tough one. Especially it is a tough one. Like hate crimes. Yeah. Well, the thing. So I I read a bit of hate crimes and like FBI's the thing of hate crimes is their definition is like it's a crime plus a bias, basically yeah. what it is. Mm-hmm. And my like. I don't know. I'm not in the FBI. I don't, I'm not, I don't work in the police system. So I don't really know this stuff, but a bias is only known, only present to the individual person committing that crime. Mm-hmm. So how you extract that is fucking hard. <laughs> like you can't just, I think, I think to some extent, like there was one article that you sent me where mm-hmm. it was an Asian woman was, um, that's taking out the trash. Yeah. 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 Like, who knows did that guy say fuck asians like is, is that was that yeah so think, yeah that's like that's, that's why it's hard for me to totally just say yeah 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 it's a hate crime and that's that but i also can't discredit it i can't just say it's not a hate crime i mean there is there clearly there is a trend you i saw yeah. the data there, there is a trend that has increased in like 150 percent in in uh crimes against asian americans so it's it's gotten fucked up yeah. But how much of that is attributed to hate crimes? I can't say. And it's hard to just say, speak from a distance, especially as a journalist. Like you can't just, you write that stuff. And then you say all of these, every single one of them was a hate crime. And you're like, mm-hmm. how do you know? You know, I think so. There's a, there's a couple of things to that. Um, yeah. I think the first one is like, there's, there's some of them where it's fucking abundantly clear. If you say yeah. like, go back to your country, you change. <laughs> yeah. Like that's yeah. a hate crime. Yes. Like there's no, yes. there's no gray area there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that's a good there, there's like other, like, uh, like you, you can, 
you can so like for some of those like they're self-reported like that's that's what happens that's literally what happens like people are like call you like like a bat eater or china virus or yeah like, yeah like you brought the virus as if you like viruses are transmitted genetically and well. one person did it yeah as if like all <laughs> chinese people have a virus. um and so like that that's that's like that's where one like aspect of like those you can measure and those are yeah. like very straightforward um but then you can also look at like you said like the data like w- there's a sudden increase in crimes against asian americans why would that happen yeah and there's no i mean this is like a classic social science like statistical analysis of like if there's no other variables that can explain it if there's no like change in behavior yeah there's no like increase in like outside variables like it's it's like you can with a decent amount of confidence say like okay at least a good portion of these are because of yeah like the current social conditions of like the coronavirus and it's like attribute it being attributed to like asian americans or chinese people generally yeah yeah um, yeah and that's that's exactly like that's how i would say it too you're saying like a, a huge portion of this my whole thing is like you don't know exactly you know, and that's, that's a tough call. And that's not, and that's not like, I'm not nitpicking. I don't need to nitpick because just don't do that to people. Like yeah. it's fucking annoying. <laughs> it's not necessary. And it's inhumane and it's all these things. Um, but going back to restorative justice with that, like, so it's kind of the same thing. I mean, if, if someone commits a hate crime, you know, they beat the shit out of some Asian guy and then they say, go back to China you China virus, bad eater, whatever. Mm-hmm. That person is... Don't let that get clipped, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't let that get clipped. It's just that. <laughs> Leave it. Um, yeah, no. I don't stand by that. Um, so, disclaimer. Yeah, disclaimer. Okay. Yeah, yeah. If you keep hearing. Keep listening, please. So the idea is there with those people, like, that's the same thing. There's a rationalization that is... I'm an... I, okay, no. Cause like you, you, no one thinks they're an idiot. I uh, have read and heard enough things from the news and whatever information I get mm-hmm. from that t- leads me to believe that Chinese people are the reason for this. Yeah. Now <clears throat> there's two ways you can go about this. I mean, there's a lot, but if you're going to narrow it down, there's two ways. There is the empathetic way, which is why the fuck did that happen? Why, where did you come from? Like, let me, let me drill down to the base of who you are and where you get your knowledge and then climb up the tree and then actually have an understanding of like, Mm -hmm. Oh, you just didn't know enough. Okay. Let me, let me inform you a little bit. There's the other way, which is you're a fucking racist. Fuck you idiot. And like, I've never heard of anyone ever who, who gets called a racist insulted like that. And they go, Oh yeah. I'm an asshole. Okay. Okay. I'll stop now. And, and no. that's like, that's the big issue with a lot of these, like, especially with polarization too. I mean, there's no, and cancel culture too. That's a big thing. It's like, there's no such thing as restorative justice in cancel culture. There is, there is you fucked up that game over. And I think in those cases, like the problem is not everyone is fixable. Not everyone is, everyone's human. Yes. But there are people that there, there are not, a method that we have found yet that can help change their attitude and change their, their understanding of, of themselves in the world. And um, mm-hmm. I think once we do, we'll probably figure everything else out too. 
Mm-hmm. But for now, we don't. And I think um, with those, I think there's a point, there's a margin where we have tried our best. We have, we have stuck with them. We have tried to understand their perspective. We have worked with them to the point where we don't even know um, how, how deep this is, or we don't even know what's really biting at them anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, But with all all those other people, I think the the 90% of people that are able to change and able to restructure their lives and reframe their existence, um, there has to be a sense of restorative justice there. There has to be like, hold on a minute. You did something that to everyone looks like you clearly, you, you hate all Asian people. Can, can you explain that to me? Like, and you let this guy, you put him on a podcast and you let him talk about it. You get, you get him in an interview and you, you give him the chance. And then you, you, you kind of take notes, you listen, you put down what, what, put, um, what sticks out to you what sticks out to the person who's listening. And then you say, all right, you brought up this point about um, Trump saying that it's a Chinese virus. It's like, yeah, the virus did come from Chinese or from China, but the fuck did you think every Chinese person just carried a bag of it? And like, obviously that's not how you say it, but you know what I'm saying? Like there is, you address the points and then you illuminate them in their circumstance without dehumanizing them, without delegitimizing their existence. And I think that is what like progressives and like liberals would actually want to have happen. But because there's, there's a, there's a, a there's strong association with with uh, sentiment and emotion. It's like fuck that guy, and then fuck that, and then kind of leave him, and then let him deal with his own problems because it's not it's his problem. It's not my problem. Um, that's not totally true, but like to some extent, mm-hmm. it's, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I think I know what you're getting so, at. Yeah, yeah, and I think so. Um, it just reminded me also of the restorative justice on on the that website. Stop AAPI hate. <clears throat> um, on their about section, they have a five-pronged approach to helping mm-hmm. um, Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and one of them is, huh, where is it? Support community-based safety measures and restorative justice efforts. Yeah. So that's something like where you suggest, where you proposed, you know, is that more policing? I don't think it's more policing. I think if you put yeah. more restrictions on something, there's just going to be more loopholes to find. Mm-hmm more ways to get around it like if you, it's just not productive it's yeah. really not productive and i think that's like the whole it's the same thing with um the criminal or the yeah criminal justice system and and um and police and not police system the prison complex system too mm-hmm. if you give a, a sense of community if you give a chance there will be a that will yield a lot of positive results a lot it won't do all yeah. There's yeah, never yeah, going to be a hundred percent guarantee, but it's so much more worth it than just bashing and bashing and bashing. And then saying, nah, that's it. You're nothing. I'll go yeah. fix yourself. Now go, yeah. go turn your life around. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's just hard to, hard to imagine that ever works. And when it does, yeah. it's outstanding circumstances that, um, and self-motivated people and self-driven. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I'd want to thank you for bringing this up because this is something I, I struggle with a lot. Um, just like, like, I think it's, it's very easier said than done. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, totally. And so like, I guess the, the example I would bring up is like, so 
this example of like there's this Asian American hate crime, right? So someone kicks you, beats you, knocks out your teeth, breaks through your ribs. And then I think the like in the framing of like restorative justice, it's like it's true, it's right. And I, I strongly believe that this person is redeemable and has a chance and should have a chance to better themselves, recognize, um, sort of like find justice in like the act or whatever the 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 mistake that they've made. Yeah. I think it's it's difficult, like if you're the kid, if you're the guy who's been fucking beat up and kicked in the teeth and broken your ribs, it's difficult to then turn around to that kid and be like, shake his hand. You gotta <laughs> forgive him. Like, yeah, no, see like, that's, that's, that's the, the aspect it's of not hurt him. is yeah. like difficult. Yeah, and no, so trying totally. To, it's, I so think it's, trying to, yeah. Trying it to wouldn't to, be the guy who got his ass beat to then yeah. go and apologize to the, not like go, you know, make amends. It's, yeah. it would it's be- It's more of a community outside. Yeah, there would be an external, or like another, just a, a third person, a third party uh, intervention that mm-hmm. would say, I didn't get my ass whooped. So I'm not <laughs> currently mad at you. Yeah. I'm gonna, let's, let's talk. Let's figure yeah. this out. And then yeah. I think then that person is way more willing to apologize or even make amends or even help out that person, pay for mm-hmm. the m- medical bills, whatever it may be, yeah. and not need to sue and not need to go through all this fucking problems when you can just yeah. address it at the base level mm-hmm. um and i think that's something that's definitely true yeah yeah and it's possible it's totally possible it's hard as fuck but i think yeah. it's so much cooler when two people oh, yeah. who never met and one of them got their ass beat by the other one and then they become friends that's awesome that is probably the best thing that could happen they're like oh you don't work for the who like okay of course, <laughs> like, or whatever. Like, you exist as a human being. Yeah, you're a person too. Oh, like there's, um, someone said this, like uh, with like us and China and Russia and like we're all kind of in this like yeah. bad or like, like cold war again. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, if we just talk to them, they're like, oh, Russia, you're just cold. Here's a jacket. Like oh, it's, it's like trying to figure out a lot more than just what the what is being shown to us from the front. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people think like all Chinese people are just bad because they've seen like four clips of someone talking about the Chinese virus or China as a country when mm-hmm. referring to their government. You know, th- yeah. there's like simplifications of circumstances that just don't offer any solutions yeah that's it's frustrating but it's a real it's a reality and i think it's a fixable reality and it's no it's I agree. tough but worth it i think it's tough too when you try to start bringing in things like like power and repetition right mm-hmm. um and i think i don't think this is necessarily an ideological thing because i think it happens on both sides of like partisan sides this idea of cancel culture or like boy Oh, exists. I mean, cancel, yeah. Cancel cancel culture is, tends to be associated with the left, but I think there's similar like patterns of behavior of like boycotts. Yeah. No, dude, it's crazy. There there is a lot of similarities on both sides. They just manifest very differently. Yeah, and we can talk about political systems all day, but that's not. <laughs> but anyways, what I wanted to say, or what, the point I was trying to make, was like, yeah, like I think that maybe has a time and a place, right? Where mm-hmm. you can say, okay. I now is not the time and the place to say, okay, let's sit down for a talk. There's points where I think people are doing enough damage, maybe not to like a specific person, but to like a community, maybe to a specific person where they say, okay, it's time for you to 
take a step back from this place of power that you hold this like maybe it's like the president of a company for example yeah you have too much power in that position and you'll continue to do harm and we, this is not the first time it's not like saying oh you've made, made one mistake like yeah, yeah. now now we, let's ruin your life this is a trend it's more of like okay we've tried this this is the fourth time it's the fifth time it's a pattern yeah. behavior there's little change there's a point where i think there comes a time to remove people from places of power but that doesn't mean eliminate them as a human being yeah. and ignore their humanity but i think oftentimes when people are in those positions of power they start to think wait a minute losing my power means losing my humanity like, yeah yeah i need well, this to be a human yeah well it's this whole pride thing like if you yeah. <clears throat> if you get enough power you get you want more yeah and you want more Dude, it's like anything. Winning. You want to win? You want to win more? Oh, I want to keep winning. Like it, it all it builds on itself and there's no sense of satisfaction. This is actually one of the uh, four noble truths of Buddhism. Um, I don't want to say the word because I don't I don't know how to pronounce it, but day D-U-K-K-H-A is um is one of the it's like the first one I, I read on. And um <clears throat> fuck, I'm already forgetting it. It's um oh jesus it's it's oh, like yeah, there's no un- way to pronounce that right <laughs> yeah yeah you can't be satisfied it's kind of the sense of um uh-huh. of what uh like there's a, you're never or it's an insatiable existence like you can't always you're never satisfied with one state of being um and i think that is uh that is definitely true i mean that speaks many truth uh and it keeps us in the sense of what it's called a samsara that i can pronounce uh, which is like the state of wandering and and kind of trying to to find satisfaction, even though we'll never we'll never achieve it. Um, and I think that's that's definitely a big thing with power. Um, I mean, it exists with everything. You have money. You want more money. <laughs> oh, gambling. I want more money. You know, yeah. you want you uh, a drug addiction. You know, oh, I got these drugs, but I want more drugs. It yeah. exists in so many ways. And the problem is is trying to take a step back and see the whole circ- the whole playing field and see that okay this is just a title you know i'm just a ceo that's all it is you know i'm still nico and i can still you know do these things and watch movies and mm-hmm. do whatever i want to do outside of outside of my job um but that's another thing where um <clears throat> i don't necessarily think like Sometimes I think, yeah, get them the fuck out of there, but give them a chance to maybe work their way up, start something of their own, be able to, to lead in, in their own new oh, way, yeah. but, but being taught to, you can't just assume that they're going to learn, you know? And that's yeah. kind of, that's kind of what I think you're probably uh, imagining as well is that there is, you can step away <clears throat> but you can't just get pulled off it's not like a band-aid you can just rip it off and it's like okay okay but it's fine yeah i mean it's the, not like it cures anything suddenly yeah i mean there's still all that hard and messy work of yeah this restorative justice of trying to be like okay let's reckon with what's happening yeah let's yeah. try to understand it so. yeah yeah i think and it's, it's it's never a case i think of like okay you've been quote-unquote canceled like now you never deserve anything in your life again like yeah banned for life sort of thing it's, yeah yeah I, that's no, I, I mean like we've talked about that's not productive that's dehumanizing yeah um, delegitimizes your existence it's fucked yeah. up yeah. yeah 
Yeah, the, th- the, the other side of that is like, <clears throat> like I was saying, like not everyone is the same. Not everyone is equal. Mm-hmm. And so not everyone gets the same route. You know, some people need more work to be able to achieve, you know, a sense of like fairness or whatever sense of meaning in the world. Other people need, need you know, one spiritual awakening. Um, and I think that, has to be taken into account as well you know maybe a maybe a president of a company one president of the company you know takes psychedelics is very not egocentric and so very humanized and but has fucked up philosophies and so you go all right man you fucked up enough we need to help you like let's let's pull you out of this let's first you got to help find someone and we're gonna we're gonna work with you we're going to make this smooth transition. But once you go, we need a reframing of how you see the world. And that's maybe fine. But there's other guys who are so egocentric, so caught up in their own bullshit mm-hmm. that it's going to, it may take years before they can finally rebound and get to the, to a new stage of, of understanding, but totally worth doing. You, you can only try. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. That's exactly what I, say to a lot of people, I think it's worth the effort because what do you Absolutely. lose? Like not much, you don't really yeah. time. I think it's also, <laughs> yeah, you have to be important not to be like, there's no finished product, right? Like everyone. Yeah. Everyone's always working on themselves. Yeah. So it's like, a but there's a point grace. where you can be independent of it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's, it's like teaching someone how to skate and then you got them, you got them and then you let go. And then it's like, I'm here if you ever need it. But you're, you're skating yourself now. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. you fall. But you just got to get back up. Try again. Yeah. yeah. It's heavy stuff, though. I mean, I, I, I'm, I think it's like something I very, only very recently entered into the, uh, like, within the past couple of years, I've been sort of introduced to these sort of systems of thought. Um, yeah. Dude, it's been like a year for me. It's the, it's the understanding I have now. We'll see where it goes. I, there's yeah. some people that have been engaging in this and working in the space much longer than i have so mm-hmm. I'm yeah this to be able to learn from them but I'm trying. yeah it's gonna change it's gonna change you gotta be as eclectic as you can you know learn from other people and, <laughs> and have, then have your own version yeah yeah <laughs> learning from the master yes <laughs> exactly i will say i'm so honored that i'm finally this is sort of premature i meant to say this at the start i mean it's fine this is late but I'm I'm so happy, dude. I've been waiting for this opportunity to be on the podcast for so long. So. This has been will, this has been building up for a long time. I'm I've, I've been very very happy and on, actually honored that you've extended me this opportunity. So no, this has been great. This has been a great podcast. This is like probably the most fulfilling of the podcasts I've had. Um, I think you're a great conversationalist, and you're very. Um, <clears throat> I think. Like I've, I'm lucky to be able to do this, but like I can get you in a state where it's, it's back and forth. You listen, I, I might present something that you may not agree with and you can present something and we're willing to contradict each other sometimes and, and build off of that. So this has been, I've learned a lot, man. <laughs> I hope you as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I've got my, like my knowledge of whatever of my own history and of, of my own like yeah. culture, but being able to be exposed to like, like the the sort of overarching like philosophies of thought and uh, yeah perceptions and perception and like connection to like 
whatever uh um like temporal or spatial state people are in is like yeah i don't really engage it with a lot probably because it's like fucking hard to think about and <laughs> i think it's not easy, easy way no. out, so it's like yeah, whatever so. yeah that's something i've learned it's like it's not always best to take the easy way out because you'll get more out of it even if you hate what you're doing but you just go through it and then you come out and you're like oh that was worth it totally totally i think that's my sound trying to do you know just take the hard way and figure stuff out it's been working so far as far as i can tell i'm, I'm trying <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah all right well this was a lot of fun man felix woo everyone <laughs>